We're about to hear the latest episode of Democracy in Crisis, a weekly podcast that I do with Baynard Woods. This week, we're talking about his coverage of the J-20 protesters. These are folks who were arrested en masse. 215 people were facing serious charges for demonstrating against Trump during his inauguration day. So enjoy the conversation. This is Democracy in Crisis, and I am Baynard Woods. This is Mark Steiner for The Mark Steiner Show and the Center for Emerging Media. And this week here on Democracy Crisis, we're actually going to hear about Baynard's work. Yeah, so I've, <laughs> I've been work, I've been digging into the and following the, the multiple lawsuits involved with, well, civil suits and criminal cases involved with the J20 protests. The Let's take a step J20, back. Yeah. Let's stop for a second. Let's, let's kind of just very briefly go back to the day you covered that story very briefly and talk about what J20 is. To refresh folks, maybe people people just podcasting this for the first time or listening for the first time on the radio have no idea what you're talking about. Right. So uh, J20 is January 20, which was the uh, day that Donald Trump was inaugurated. And there were a number of various ways that day, from uh, marijuana activists giving out 4,000 free joints at DuPont Circle and everyone smoking in public, to um, a black block <coughs> Mobilization, where a number of people were wearing all black, wearing goggles or masks, um, and some people vandalized buildings as the group moved through the street carrying uh, anarchist and anti-fascist banners. And so the government uh, used the the equally controversial technique of uh, kettling to collect a massive group of people, more than 200 people, to corral them into an area, not let them leave that area, and then arrested all of them en masse for being near the people who had allegedly committed vandalism. Uh, Although outside of that line were a number of people wearing the same kind of clothes. And so they've now brought criminal cases against 215 or so people for inciting a riot, conspiracy to riot, rioting, various uh, destruction of property charges. So, but as someone who years and years and years ago had been arrested for a number of demonstrations himself (laughs) and charges from similar things in the past, the difference here is is that these people, some of them are journalists, are facing real time in prison if they're convicted. These these are federal charges we're talking about because it's in Washington, D.C., am I right? Well, that's a weird thing. That's an interesting thing about the case. So they're not federal charges in terms of, you know, no parole and that kind of stuff. Um, They are brought by the U.S. Attorney's Office because they're in the District of Columbia, but they would be state charges elsewhere. And so they're treated like state charges when it comes to sentencing and such. But they still add up to 75 years um, that these people are looking at in jail. And, yeah, one person, Aaron Contu, is a journalist who was is with the Santa Fe Reporter, was there. I mean, his case is, these are all First Amendment cases, to be clear, but his case is he was moving along with the group that he was covering, as I was, um, although he was with them a little bit earlier, I think, and he got caught in the, the kettle and was only indicted on May 30th because they said he was wearing black um, and got rid of a backpack that he had. Um, they, they allege from evidence. So they charged him with conspiracy to riot because he was moving with a group that they claimed was rioting. And so that means for us, for journalists, if we're moving with people that commit a crime as we're covering them, we are then somehow responsible for that crime. So that's deeply co- troubling and concerning for journalists, but it's also deeply in, uh, troubling for 
the average citizen's First Amendment rights because a number of people were there to protest the inauguration that day, numerous people, and for all different reasons and in all kinds of different ways. But if you happened to be near where the black bloc group was and you happened to be wearing black, then you're considered to be part of a conspiracy. My wife went down that day, and she, when I heard that was going on, I ran towards it. She ran the other way, but she wears all black almost all the time. She would have been possibly charged, whereas I would, wasn't, because I wasn't wearing black. And she was, even though she had zero interest in being anywhere near any type of, of property destruction, any type of police presence, she was down there um, just to sort of see what was going on and because she wanted to go to the Women's March the next day and didn't want to deal with that. So a lot of new stuff has come out in this case recently as it's moving forward. So Discovery is coming out, and I got a hold of some of the police body cam footage in the last couple of days. Is this from Freedom of Information Act, or is this was how did you get that? Uh, confidential sources. and You got it through confidential sources. I got it through confidential sources. and Good reporter that you are. There you there, go. There is a motion on the table, which I hope and assume the judge will, a protective order, which I hope and assume the judge will deny, but that uh, Jennifer Kirkhoff, the prosecutor in the case, has moved to make it so that the defendants, 215 defendants, which are all having to share all of this discovery, which gets put up on a portal, that they're not allowed to share that information with anyone who is not their defense lawyer, which means that they're not allowed to share it with a lawyer bringing a civil case, which means if they want to sue the state for violations of their rights that the state conducted during that, they're not, they wouldn't, if the judge rules on this, be allowed to use that discovery. And this is important because three of the, four of the defendants along with the ACLU, have filed a civil case against Peter Newsham, who was at the time acting police chief in Washington, D.C., is currently the police chief, um, and various and four different right now, and given that being anonymous is part of the case, with four as of yet to be named police officers. Because they also, interestingly enough, were wearing masks, even though that's a charge against the protesters. You are, if you're wearing a mask, Despite the fact that they're spraying pepper spray and stuff, you're part of the conspiracy, while well, all of the police officers also had their faces covered. This suit, this ACLU suit, is crazy. I mean, the stuff that it alleges. Um, so one of the defendants, Shay Horse, is a journalist and was a, a photojournalist. He was arrested. His camera and stuff was taken. He wasn't able to get it back until after the, the pictures were no longer sellable. But he was, his body, he was rectally searched by police in public with female police officers around who were laughing. And the police officers, this is in the suit, were not changing gloves as they were, were cavity searching multiple defendants in a row with the same gloves and would laugh when they were told, hey, this is not safe for you to be doing or whatever. So the kinds of abuses that, are, that these defendants were subject to while they were held in this kettle is, is really something that I think is really one of the reasons that they don't want this discovery information to come out. So a video that I am going to be or have already posted shows there in part of the indictment, they say that the Black Bloc tried to break through a line of police. This was a, a part of their, their criminal conspiracy and criminal behavior. But you see in the video that numerous officers start to just douse them with pepper spray, with this big fire extinguisher looking pepper spray, 
things, and they run away from that in another direction and are said to be trying to break through the police line. So you can really see, and you can go up and watch this on Democracy in Crisis or the Democracy in Crisis YouTube and look at a little bit of what the police are doing. What is it about this case? Unlike other cases in the past, I'm thinking of cases from 40 or 50 years ago, when a lot of people had been arrested, there was a lot of press around it, followed it, whether it's the New York 21, Chicago 8, you name many other things with many other people who were arrested. But it seems, unless I'm missing something, that the establishment press is not covering this. I'm, right? uh, yeah, I'm shocked and stunned by this. I mean, it, it doesn't serve or put our, show our profession in a good light that we're all freaking out when the president tweets a meme you know, which is outrageous uh, of, of slamming down CNN or whatever, than we are about journalists facing 75 years in jail and 200 citizens being charged in mass with not individualized evidence, with evidence that just goes for all 200 of them for exercising their First Amendment rights. It, it's astounding to me that we don't have the mainstream press in an uproar of this. Everyone was, was furious when Jim Acosta wasn't called on at one of those first press conferences and Trump yelled out, your fake news. And yet we don't have the same kind of support of people jumping up and saying, what about Aaron Contu? What about Shea Horse? What about all of the 200 individual private citizens who are being charged with destruction of property that clearly only a very few number of people destroyed that property? And even on the left, we're not seeing a big uproar over this. That's interesting, I mean, because the, the danger is, it seems to me, is that if this is kept quiet, if this is not being publicized, then it's easy to railroad these people and nobody will care if they go to jail. I mean, that's part of the problem. Yeah, and I think it's part of the, the pusillanimous pathology of the press and, and our modern left as well of being scared of being associated with anything that's really openly leftist and with anything that could be conceived of as violence. And so after the black bloc broke some windows and stuff, and this goes back to the Battle of Seattle and in 1999, this technique really like sort of became prominent in the U.S. at that point. The left has disavowed any type of political violence to such a degree that even the fact that 10 people maybe broke a window that day has made the entire press and along with the left sort of want to distance themselves from this whole case in a way that I think the right would never do at this point. So it's a it's a very puzzling thing to me why we aren't saying you have to charge the individual who committed something, not everyone who happened to be around an individual who committed a crime. That to me seems like the most basic aspect in, of American politics. Well, I hope somebody really picks this up beyond your work and see, hears this podcast and goes, wait a minute, we have to look at this. So it's not you're, this is traveling about the country. This is really an important issue, I think. And there are reporters covering this, but not in the BuzzFeed's doing a, a really good job at, at continuing to follow up. They just reported a couple days ago. To be clear to our listeners, we're recording this a little bit in advance. BuzzFeed reported a, an interesting story that Facebook is fighting against a gag order where they records of people's Facebook pages were subpoenaed by the government and what they think may be this case and Facebook and telling Facebook you can't tell the user that we took their information. We're imposing a gag order. Facebook is fighting against that gag order. So whether or not it's this case, it's fascinating that 
the U.S. government is trying to force Facebook to give over your information to them without telling that information. Well, between this podcast and last week's podcast, Conversation on Democracy and Crisis, as someone who doesn't like to believe in conspiracy theories, they sure to bubble up. It, 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 it makes you give you pause, makes you think twice about what's actually happening around us. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and, and, you know, to be clear, what you said about these being federal charges, while they're not federal charges, they are the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they do answer directly, unlike a state prosecutor, you know, Marilyn Mosby in, in Maryland or uh, whoever else in, in their own states, who don't answer directly to the Department of Justice. These prosecutors do answer to the, the Department of Justice, and I think are trying to send out a message against protests that we are going to come at you hard in any way we can if you're out in the streets. And so this is really a, fir a major First Amendment issue that every First Amendment organization should be, or person concerned with it, should be pushing. And the ACLU has been, you know, they have filed this, this civil suit on behalf of several of the plaintiffs. I think maybe the next conversation we have maybe should be around this, should be with the ACLU to have them on to talk about why. Yeah, I think so. And, and numerous of the lawyers, there are defense lawyers who are flying out from Denver, um, who are trying, who are want to be representing clients in this case. There, there are a number of people who are are really working on case. And one other thing that we should mention for the listener to be aware of is, so they're they're using data from 187 cell phones as evidence in this case. And the government's arguing, well, it's difficult for us to share it with everyone because we want to protect your privacy. The defendants are saying, give it to all of us because, I mean, we're, it's way better for our co-defendants to know this information than for us to do all of this time. But have your phone secure if you're going to any kind of demonstration. The reason there are 215 defendants and only 187 cell phones is because they weren't able to get into some of the cell phones. And they still have, if you have it encrypted, they don't have a way to crack, especially the iPhone 7 is the most secure of the phones. I don't want this to be an advertisement for Apple in any way whatsoever, but have your data encrypted. You might be using Signal or these other apps that they can't intercept in air, but they can take it when they take your physical phone if they can get in. All right, Bannard. So this is a, this is a case we're going to continue to covering. It's sort of the, the premier case of our first column was I was there and I was almost arrested that day. So we're going to continue covering this as one of the real attacks on the press that's happening in the Trump administration, not just the symbolic things that start to feel a little bit like baiting, getting the press to react angrily over a tweet or whatever. This is people actually facing who are journalists and other individuals exercising their First Amendment rights 75 years in jail. So to all of them and to everyone out there, uh, much love and grim solidarity. This is Baynard Woods with Democracy in Crisis. And this is Mark Steiner for the Mark Steiner Show and the Center for Emerging Media and Democracy in Crisis, wishing us all solidarity in hope.